his life before. Up on the tower, it's cold. The January chill comes drifting over the fens and wraps itself across the city like a paedophile's hand round that of a small, unresisting child. The woman isn't dressed for winter, but seems to be unaware of the cold. She blinks, and suddenly those dead eyes have tears in them. D.I. Josebury has reached the door to the chapel tower and finds it unlocked. It slams back against the stone wall, and his left shoulder, which will always be the weaker of the two, registers the shock of pain. At the first corner, Josebury spots a shoe, a narrow, low-heeled blue leather shoe with a pointed toe and a high polish. He almost stops to pick it up, and then realises he can't bear to. Once before he held a woman's shoe in his hand and thought he'd lost her. He carries on, up the steps, counting them as he goes, not because he has the faintest idea how many there are, but because he needs to be marking progress in his head. When he reaches the second flight, he hears footsteps behind him. Someone is following him up. He feels the cold air just as he sees the door at the top. He's out on the roof before he has any idea what he's going to do if he's too late and she's already jumped, or what the hell he'll do if she hasn't. Lacey! he yells. No! Chapter 1 Friday, 11th of January, 11 days earlier. All bar one near Waterloo Station was busy, with nearly a hundred people shouting to make themselves heard above the music. Smoking has been banned in the UK's public places for years, but something seemed to be hovering around these folk, thickening the air, turning the scene around me into an out-of-focus photograph taken on a cheap camera. I knew, instinctively, he wasn't there. No need to look at my watch to know I was sixteen minutes late. I timed it to the second. Too late would look rude, or as if I were trying to make a point. Too close to the agreed time would seem eager. Calm and professional, that's what I was going to be. A little distant. Being a bit late was part of that. Except now he was the one who was late. At the bar, I ordered my usual drink for difficult occasions and stretched up onto a vacant bar stool. Sipping the colourless liquid, I could see my reflection in the mirrors behind the bar. I'd come straight from work. Somehow, I'd resisted the temptation to leave early and spend the better part of two hours showering, blow-drying my hair, putting on makeup, and choosing clothes. I'd been determined not to look nice for Mark Josebury. I fished my laptop out of my bag and put it down on the bar. Not actually planning to work, just to make it look that way. And opened a presentation on the UK's laws on pornography that I was due to give the following week to a group of new recruits at Hendon. I opened a slide at random. The Criminal Justice and Immigration Act. The recruits would be surprised to learn, because most people were, that possession of all non-child pornography was perfectly legal in the UK until the 2008 Act outlawed extreme pornographic images. Naturally, they'd want to know what qualified as extreme. Hence, the main content of the slide I was looking at. An extreme pornographic image depicts a sexual act that threatens or appears to threaten a person's life, results in serious injury to sexual organs, involves a human corpse, involves an animal. I changed a spelling mistake in the second bullet point and added a full stop to the fourth. Josebury hadn't arrived. Not that I'd looked round. I would know the minute he walked through the door. 
Twenty-four hours earlier, I'd had a five-minute briefing with my DI at Southwark Police Station. SCD-10, still colloquially known by everyone as SO-10, the Special Crimes Directorate of the Metropolitan Police that deals with covert operations, had requested my help with a case. Not just any young female detective constable, but me specifically. And the lead officer on the case, DI Mark Josebury, would meet me the following evening. What case? I'd asked. D.I. Josebury would fill me in, I was told. My D.I. had been tight-lipped and grumpy, probably on account of having his staff filched without being told why. I checked my watch again. He was twenty-three minutes late, my drink was disappearing too quickly, and at half-past I was going home. I couldn't even remember what he looked like, I realised. Oh, I had a vague idea of height, build and colouring, and I remembered those turquoise eyes. But I couldn't...